This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. On April 15th, 2019, the day after Palm Sunday, we published the podcast called The High Cost of Love, The Work of the Cross. And we went over the overview of a book I wrote called Born to Die That We May Live, which was really about the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Today's podcast should be coming out on April 22nd, 2019, literally the day after Easter, which is Easter Sunday is April 21st. So I thought it was appropriate since we talked about the high cost of love coming into Good Friday week and into Easter, that the day after Easter, we would talk about being the good news. In fact, I talk about be, bring, and broadcast the good news. That God is calling us to take this great news of the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and so high cost of love that Jesus portrayed for us as the church that we would get our focus and perspective of being empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the bearer of good news. Let me take you back just a moment because I wrote an article and I talked about this in the World Series in 2016. In fact, on the seventh day of the World Series in November of 2016, I was actually speaking at a citywide gathering at Woods Edge Church in the Woodlands or Spring Woodlands area of Texas. And at the request of a friend, Pastor Jeff Wells, and, and though I didn't expect a lot of people would come on the seventh day of the World Series, it was, a, it was a good turnout. There was a lot of people at church. But I did notice that some of the people there were wearing uh, paraphernalia by the, the Chicago Cubs because they are Chicago Cubs fans. And others were wearing the Cleveland Indian fans paraphernalia. And so they were, even though they were there for the seventh day, the seventh game of the World Series, uh, they are at church that night to pray and to, on behalf of the community and beyond and for our nation. And so, as they gathered together, I could see them expressing their team of choice by wearing their particular paraphernalia of shirts and hats for the Cubs and Indians. As I got up to speak, I asked a question, how many of you are Cubs fans? And of course, many clapped and cheered. And then I said the same thing when I asked, how many of you are Indians fans? And of course, many of them began to cheer and clap as well. And I said, Tomorrow, some of you are going to be celebrating because your team won the World Series. But some of you will be saddened and disappointed that your team did not win the World Series. But at the end of the day, no matter who wins or who loses, you'll still be Christians. You will still be members of the body of Christ, and you will still be part of the church. I also reminded them that in a few more days beyond that was going to be a national presidential election. And many people have different preferences politically. But at the end of the day, though some will celebrate the candidate that won of their choice, of their political preference, some would be disappointed. But we must all remember that our hope is not in the institutions of man or in a candidate or a political party. Our hope is in the hope of glory, Christ Jesus, Christ in us. And after the elections, just like after the seventh game of the World Series, no matter who wins or who loses, We've got to keep our perspective that we, as the body of Christ, are still Christians and part of a message far greater than our political preferences or personal preferences. 
and we should still love those who disagree with us. One of today's biggest challenges in our society is the lack of civility and character in our disagreements, even our public discourse, or even in the church itself. I've never seen so many people who are so adamant and opinionated politically and otherwise that they would allow their preferences to divide families, friendships, and churches. The only unshakable kingdom is the kingdom of the Lord, and we, the church, must still love each other, even in our disagreements, and if we are to help others find their place in the kingdom, we must be those who look at a perspective bigger than ourselves, because the kingdom of God is built on relationships. In fact, John thirteen fifteen says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, because you have love for one another. How can we lead others to a revelation of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection, or a relationship with God Himself, if we can't get past our own differences? In Mark ten nine, we see Jesus teaching that, Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. This passage applied to the context of marriage, but it is clear that God is the one who brings the church together, and woe be it to any man or woman who causes dissension and separation or division in the church. We, the church, must walk in Christ-likeness, crossing our racial, denominational, and political lines and preferences to be part of something far bigger than ourselves. We still need to love with the love of Christ. It's the only way we can help others find hope in Christ. I've often said to those that I work with, we must speak the truth in love seasoned with grace even to those who oppose us or disagree with us. I believe that we're in a new season. And around New Year's time every year, uh, I try to spend some time seeking the Lord away from media and other distractions and noise pollutions and try to really listen and process what the Lord may be saying for me and for those that I'm called to, to speak to or minister to in the next season. And, and we have definitely entered into an interesting season. In fact, I believe that what I've been sensing from the Lord is not just about um, a year-to-year thing, but I believe we're still in a season. In fact, at the end of 2016, I felt it was a time of re-energizing, refocusing, and recalibrating. And I believe that season is not over yet. We're it's still in that season, even in 2019. In fact, I believe it's needed now more than ever. Here's what I sense the Lord was saying for the last three or four years. I believe the Lord continues to say to His church specifically, stay low, draw near, incline our ears to hear. And what does that mean? Stay low. I kept hearing that over and over, and I sensed in my heart from the Lord. In other words, keep a posture of humility. Stay low. Keep a posture of humility. Number two, draw near. To do what? Draw near. Stay close to the presence of God. See, uh, when we stay close in His presence, then there's a permeation of His presence in our life. The hope of glory of Christ Jesus becomes a part of us, and the power of God in us can work through us. And then thirdly, inclining our ears to hear. When that moment comes when the Holy Spirit is speaking loudly, we must obey and move quickly. It's not a time to begin to process and think. In fact, I have a friend who uh, is a chaplain in the NBA, the National Basketball Association. He talks about repetition so that when the basketball players do their shot in repetition over and over and over again, so that when the real game is there, then they will move instinctively rather than having to stop and think about making that three-point or that two-point two layup or whatever that shot is. 
And the same is true for us. If we stay low in a posture of humility, we draw near to the presence of God, like, like, it, it, like we know that it's only His presence that is in our manifest presence of God in our lives that will permeate in and through our lives to touch other people, that we will draw near for that manifest presence. But thirdly, then we, may, we must instinctively be able to move and obey when God speaks. So we have to incline our ears to hear, but we also have to be disciplined in our time and intentional, our time in prayer, our time with the Lord, our time with uh, reading His Word to wash our minds. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, we read this wonderful message from the Lord. But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. You see, our names are inscribed on the very hands of God Himself. And He is saying, fear not, for in the season I'm taking you into, you don't have to be afraid. What more do we need? Every decision, every direction, every circumstance that we may go through, be it difficult or great or challenging or victorious, the Lord Jesus Christ is the hope of glory in us. No matter what, we know He's with us. He's engraved us and inscribed us on His own hands. We belong to Him and His power dwells in us. There's nothing to fear when we recognize His commission and His anointing. I like what, the, what John Wesley used to say. He said, give me a hundred men, or in this context, give me a hundred people. But he said, give me a hundred men who uh, hate nothing but sin and fear nothing but God, and we will change the world. See, there's a lot of hate going around. There's a lot of people spreading hatred, and there's venom going out today like never before, this lack of civility. But God is saying, don't hate anything or anybody except for sin. Hate the ramifications of sin, what sin does. Sin produces destruction and death. But yet we are not to fear anything but God himself. I'm not talking about the fear of God punishing us over every little thing, but I'm talking about this place of the reverence of God that we don't want to ever be separated from the manifest presence of God because that's where his commission, his anointing, his authority comes. In fact, in the book of Matthew, we see Jesus enter into his public ministry John baptizes him, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, God's proclaiming, that's my boy, that's my son. But immediately after this great moment, Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and prayer, but also 40 days of being tempted by Satan. Now here's the the son of the living God, who God proclaims as the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and, the, and, and God says publicly, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the affirmation, the approval, the acceptance of God himself over Jesus. And yet he immediately goes into the temptation after, during 40 days of fasting and prayer into the wilderness being tempted by Satan. If, if the Lord himself has gone through this knowing who he is, then who do we think we are to prop up our own personal kingdoms and try to become our own gods in the house of God? We're the temples of the Holy Spirit We belong to the Lord. We don't belong to ourselves. And we live too often in this self-righteous, self-absorbed society. In fact, I like what the late A.W. Tozier used to say. He said that self is the opec veil that hides the face of God from us. You see, our self-righteousness, our self-centeredness, our selfishness, our self-absorption in the culture in which we live is really putting a veil between us and God when, when Jesus tore down the veil between us, that we would no longer be blinded, but we'd have free access into the very presence of God. It's often in moments of our greatest victories 
that we have to remember to stay in a posture of humility that is humble before God, believing that He's going to fulfill what He promised to do in and through us, but only when we recognize it's about Him and not about our self-adulation. In the days and season ahead, I believe we need greater discernment so that we can distinguish between the authentic and the genuine versus the counterfeit and disingenuous. The only way to discern properly is to draw near, dig deep, and draw from the well that never runs dry. By divine guidance, Elijah was led to the brook where he was fed by ravens, and then to a widow's home where God provided for him during days of drought and famine. He also prayed for rain, and at God's direction, when there were no clouds in the sky, he prayed, rubbish out of our hearts. We must be sure to have proper perspective, keep proper perceptions, be in proper alignments, proper agreements and associations, and keep a right attitude. And after we've allowed Him to do a deep work in our hearts, sowing seeds of faith through simple obedience, He will pour out His rain and water the seed, because we give of our lives a seed for the soil of souls. That's the part of being, be the good news. That we, we would lay our own lives down on the altar of God. When we offer ourselves as living sacrifices of our time, talent, and resources and giftings as seed for the soil of soul, the soil of souls, God then pours out the rain of the Holy Spirit to water the seed that we've sown. We need to draw from the well that never runs dry because it comes from a water source, the living water that never ceases. Be the good news. Bring the good news. Broadcast the good news. I look at the season where we've been in and coming and going and still continue into. I see a lot of unusual dynamics and challenges, but I also see God's faithfulness. We can become upset, distressed, and distracted by what we read and see every day in the news, but we must not. Instead, we must listen to the news from heaven. What does God have to say about what's going on? It's the gospel, good news. We need to be the gospel, the bearers of good news, so we can bring the gospel or good news, and then we can broadcast individually and corporately the good news. Being the gospel. In order to be the, to be the gospel, we have to be in the presence of the one who gives us the gospel. Many of us are already doing what God wants us to do. So the issue isn't obeying, it's simply being in His presence and being assured by His presence. He just wants us to enjoy being with Him so He can empower us and to let His light shine through us to reach our generation. The only way we're ever going to bring a change in our own lives, our families, or to those who look to us as leaders, and to a nation, and even our generation, is to dwell in the manifest presence of God, where we are empowered with the anointing of God's presence. You see, it's not always what we say, but it's the essence of who Christ is in us, Colossians 1. And Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. It almost sounds arrogant to say God's power is at work in us unless we understand and experience the humility that comes when we realize our whole life is about Him. We are lost without Him. And that is what happens when you come into the presence of a triune holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Bringing the gospel. When we're in His presence, we are those who can be bearers of the gospel and bring it wherever we go. Every one of us has a great story of good news. With so much bad news all around us all the time in the daily news, maybe it's time for us to start sharing the good news. 
We've seen his faithfulness through life's adversities and difficulties. No matter what we've been through, God has given us hope and brought us through it to where we are today. I'm only who I am because of him. The kingdom of God is built on relationships, first with God and then with one another. The degree of influence or lasting legacy any of us will leave is only determined by the level or degree of those relationships, first with God and then with one another. See, we need each other more than ever, more than ever before. As we see the difficulties around us, the challenges, we need the connectivity, that koinonia together, that place of ecclesia. The church must gather together for greater purposes than what we've ever accomplished of our, on our own so we can be the bearers of the gospel and bring it into a dark and hurting world. Broadcasting the gospel. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, as I alluded to earlier, we read about Isaiah's life-changing encounter with God's presence. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke or the glory of God. Then we go on to verse 5 where it says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you've been in the presence of a triune holy God, we will feel undone. As Leonard Ravenhill used to say, he would teach, Woe, lo, go. Woe as you feel undone in His presence. Lo, as you behold the glory of the glory of God. And go as you share the good news to others. Because God always commissions us out of His presence. He picks us up and pours His grace on us and then commissions us and anoints us to go forth to be the bearers of good news to others. You see, the presence of God is the place of recognizing our own inabilities, our own lack of resources, our own undoneness. That's when we recognize it's all about Him. And He can touch our lips and say, Go. It's in that place we can begin to be bold and unafraid of what the world thinks about us. You see, we live in a world that's becoming more and more challenging and hostile. So I see many Christians who are afraid to tell the truth. Yet 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a very clear picture. If we don't have a love of the truth, we can be given over to strong delusion. People are trying hard to diminish the power of the gospel in us. If we put on our lampshade and, be, and cover the light that shines in us, we'll never see the change we want to see. God wants us to be the gospel, bring the gospel, and broadcast the gospel. May we never be ashamed of who Christ is and Christ in us. Make the most of every opportunity. If we're going to have a united heart and be a church that can deal with the world in turmoil, we must get back to our intended purpose, which is to be a dispenser of the gospel. As the Apostle Paul admonishes us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, he says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I love this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, we the church are continually presented with opportunities to share Christ through our words, our attitudes, and our deeds, and our actions. As a church, our primary purpose should be bringing in the harvest and seeing lives changed. When Jesus is high and lifted up, He will draw all men unto Himself. The question is, are we living? Are we living for Christ and loving Him enough above all things? Are we willing to lay down our own preferences, disappointments, pains and struggles and hurts, even our victories to unite with other believers and exalt the name of Jesus? He brings us together in a way that, so that nothing can divide us. We saw a beautiful example of this in 2015 after the rioting that happened in, through racial tensions in Baltimore and in Ferguson. We saw something very different happening also in, in Charleston, South Carolina, following the, following the tragic shootings at Mother Emanuel Amy Church. We saw opportunities for the church throughout the nation where it could have been racial tension because of personal uh, pains and struggles. But instead, the church got out ahead in the midst of what the media was portraying and, and exasperating an already difficult situation. Church people crossed racial and denominational lines and intentionally began to come together, even in the most difficult of circumstances. There's so many things we have to see happen. There's so many uh, issues of justice that need to be taken care of. But there will be no hope for our nation or any nation, no hope for a generation, if we don't start coming together first by coming to the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Churches across uh, the states and throughout America at that time began to recognize the intentionality across racial barriers, generational barriers, and coming together. In fact, in Charleston, South Carolina, we had just been there uh, four days before the tragic shootings at Mother Emanuel Amy Church and facilitating a statewide gathering, uh, Joel 2 and Second Chronicles 7.14 prayer gathering by which the governor of that state and other, another governor of another state attended. Uh, it was not a political rally. This was the church crossing racial denominational lines and generational lines. And we intentionally only lifted up the name of Jesus. No selling of merchandise, no egos and logos, it was just a time for the church to come together, even in our differences politically, to come together because we recognize our only hope was Christ and Christ in us. As a result, that four days later, then we see the tragic shootings, but it was the most beautiful thing that in the midst of so much tension, that 20,000 people plus in Charleston, South Carolina, hit the streets, went arm in arm together across the bridge. You saw churches from every denomination hitting the parks coming out and just being of support to the, the church at Mother Emanuel, uh, at Mother Emanuel Amy Church. And, and the body of Christ rallied together in worship services, outdoor services, in parks, rallying together to say that we need the presence of God in the midst of a very difficult circumstance. See, the church led the way and created a different narrative. Yes, we have a long ways to go, but there will be no hope if we don't put the hope of glory in us and present Him in a way that His light shines in and through us that others might see Him. In fact, Jesus said, I've said this often in many podcasts, Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father in heaven. For nearly 39, well, 38 years, I've been in ministry and, and try to believe God for this ministry of reconciliation, standing for truth, righteousness, and justice, speaking the truth in love, Season with grace, 
even when people disagree with me. I was recently reminded of a sacred moment we experienced in the city of Houston in 1996 during a time where we facilitated 40 days of fasting and prayer and worship and gathering the body of Christ together. I rented an amphitheater and called it Houston Prayer Mountain. It was an incredible time as the body of Christ crossed their barriers, coming to the cross of Christ to worship together, even in our differences and styles of worship. On December 20th, God's message was one of reconciliation, that it was not a white thing, yellow thing, black thing, red thing, or brown thing. It's a Jesus thing. And we are to be a coat of many colors, one new man, with no dividing walls between us. As we broke down those barriers that, divide us, that divided us that day, we saw a beautiful thing happen the following day. On December 21st, a holy hush came upon us with the presence of God so strong that nobody could speak a word. It reminded me of, of revivals like uh, the Azusa Street or things that happened in the Welsh revivals and other moments where that not even all these preachers came together. We had over 300 pastors and ministry leaders had, had taken communion together and started the 40 days together in November and all the way through uh, January 1st the following year, the last 40 days of 1996. And we saw many things happen every day. And over 25, 30,000 people came at different points throughout that 40 days. But yet on that day, on December 21st, a holy hush came. We recognized that how can you stand or say anything more than when the Holy Spirit of God was already present. More than ever before, we need another holy hush to fall. We need a suddenly of God. We need to be in the presence of a holy God, align our hearts properly with Him. We, the church, are to be the plumb line of healing and hope. Righteousness and justice start with us. If it doesn't, there is no hope. No matter what world leaders are in office, things around the world will still be spinning out of control with groups that are that are the terrorists all the way to those who would cause division, those who would try to cause uh, uh, divide and conquer. But we, the church, must get our hearts together and, and come, to, come together aside of all of our differences, get into our proper alignment, because nothing is going to change without us first taking right posture, staying low, drawing near, and opening our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying together. It's time for harvest. I believe we're coming into a season of great harvest. Many of us have been surviving off of crumbs from the master's table and have been wondering, God, where are you? This could be in the context of finances, relationships, business, ministry, personal calling, uh, doing, so with, doing, doing so much with so little. But I believe we're coming into a season where God, in seeing the faithfulness of his people, who are recommitting in consecration to him, that second circumcision, so to speak, and entering into, as we cross into the Jordan, crossing the Jordan into the promised land, that God is calling for a renewed consecration of our hearts, that we would go deeper in Christ and higher in expectation in the Lord, because I believe He's going to transition us from being faithful with the crumbs to become stewards of the meat and the produce. But first, He wants to make sure we understand the posture of staying low, drawing near, inclining our ears to hear, obeying quickly when He speaks. Yes, we're coming into harvest. It's time to make the most of every opportunity to let His light shine in us so that a world still looking for answers will be drawn unto Him because they see His light shining through us. I'm hopeful because I see the faithfulness of the saints of God who have chosen not to give up, even in the midst of the challenges and difficulties. When I was personally battling cancer in 2015, my wife Lisa would say, Don't you dare lose heart and leave us. Don't give up. And that is my challenge to the church today. 
Don't give in to the temptation to break fellowship with those who do not agree with you politically, socially, or theologically. But would you continue to be a light that shines because those who have the truth and share the truth and shine the truth, others will be attracted to you even when they, in their minds, disagree with you. We need to speak the truth in love, season with grace, but speak the truth nonetheless. We need to be the gospel. We need to uh, to we need to be the gospel, bring the gospel, and broadcast the gospel through the very essence of Christ in us, the hope of glory, Christ in us. God bless you, and I pray that you would go out and be the gospel today and let God's light shine in and through you and to see truly an outpouring of God's presence in our day and time and not just read about moves of God in the past. It's our season, regardless of what the world looks like, it's our season to cross racial, denominational, generational lines, and to be the gospel together. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.